What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Time Brews, where I'm your host, John Delray. Packers are two and two. Today, we're going to take a look at what are some of the biggest issues facing the team and not only acknowledging them, but saying how they could best potentially be fixed. Now, if you're thinking, well, fire Joe Barry, that fixes almost all of them. It's a little bit more complicated than that, although I'm sure his name is going to come up as we go through this. So, but first, I wanted to say, if you would have told me back in August when we were doing season predictions, you know, you know, Dave Bakhtiari is going to miss three games and then the entire season. Uh, Jair is going to miss two. Watson's going to play 20 snaps in the first four games. Jones is going to miss two. Campbell miss one, etc., etc., etc. Like, first of all, that's probably five of the six biggest stars on this team facing some kind of time missed. Keeping in mind, too, Rashawn Gary's been on a snap count. So in spite of all of that, and you were to tell me, and Jordan Love is one of the few like non-questions on this team. We're not constantly saying every single week, boy, can he lead the franchise or not? I don't know. Because that's looking like a resounding yes, for the most part. So if you were to tell me, all of those injuries, Jordan Love's not even really that much of a question. They're two and two. I probably would sign up for that. In fact, I probably would sign up for that 10 out of 10 times because we didn't know what the season was going to look like. Remember, this was transition year, valuation year, whatever nomenclature you want to use. This was a year that we didn't know what the baby Packers were going to look like. But what we can say is after four games, they are two and two. And I, for one, am fairly well happy with that. As we get into the wrongs, I do just want to mention one quick thing. I got a tweet earlier from Lake Hebbles. Those of you who are on the channel a lot, you know Lake Hebbles. He's always in here. Very, very loyal followers. And I just got to say, I found out after he tweeted at me earlier today that it is his birthday. So happy birthday, Lake Hebbles. Hope it's a great one for you. Now, let's go in to what the Green Bay Packers need to change to really ensure that this can be a playoff season, but even kind of more important than that this year, that this team starts living up to its full potential. And the things that I'm going to list off are with an understanding of what probably isn't going to happen, right? Like the Packers can't control injuries. They're going to keep on like cropping up, hopefully to a smaller extent than what we've seen so far, but it's, it's a reality that we're going to continue seeing them. I also understand fully that while maybe Joe Barry isn't doing the most exemplary job in the world, and don't get me wrong, I've had weeks where I've supported him too. The Detroit game was pretty atrocious. Kind of hard to defend that one, no matter how big of a fan of the guy you are. doesn't really matter. The reality is the Green Bay Packers are probably not moving on from him midseason. And if they did, frankly, it raises more questions than they probably even have right now, because who exactly would take over the defensive coordinator role on staff right now. The easy answer used to be Jerry Gray. Now it's a lot murkier than that with the defensive staff assembled. So I'm just going to say that unless the defense suddenly becomes like kind of what we've seen the Broncos become over the last couple of weeks or like historically bad, I'm talking really, really historically bad. Joe Barry probably is going to last through the rest of the season. Next year's a massive question. This season it's kind of the Packers way to keep him around, whether Lafleur's is happy with it completely or not. So that's a part of it too. The other thing that I'm going to say is it is quite difficult for coaches on both sides of the ball to really make a number of adjustments when facing so many injuries. It's not an excuse. It's a reality. 
For instance, maybe to help bolster the pass rush like at times they did last year, they want to move Quay Walker outside to the edge, really use his speed there. Well, it's a lot tougher to move Quay out to the edge when you're also missing Campbell in the middle. Or let's say you want to do more man coverage, mix it up. Awfully tough to do man when both Jair and Stokes are out. Or maybe you want to take Zach Tom from right tackle, have him fell in for left Elton at left guard, or John Runyon Jr. who messed up his ankle in the Lions game. Or, you know, again, though, that flexibility gets a lot tougher when David Bakhtiari's hurt. So there's a lot of adjustments that maybe we would have seen potentially happen. Maybe not it is the Packers, but still things that are kind of held back because of the reality of the injury situation of the Green Bay Packers. With all of that being said, though, there are things absolutely that this team can control. Number one, offensive overthinking. Running back coach today, uh, Ben Sermons, was on the podium, and he said one of the main issues with A.J. Dillon is he appears to be overthinking. He just needs to go out there and run. But I would argue that it extends much higher than that. And maybe it shouldn't have been a bullet on its own, but it's a reality. The entire offense is overthinking. That's what it appears like. And it affects their head coach too, which takes us into number two, the offensive rhythm. Here's a tweet from Zach Cruz who said, Jordan Love in the first quarter thus far is 9 of 24 for 99 yards, one touchdown, and a 64.4 quarterback rating. However, in the third quarter, he's 30 of 37 for 377 yards, four touchdowns, and a 133.9 QB rating. The thing is, the play calls between the first quarter and the third quarter aren't that incredibly different to lead to that stark of a contrast in numbers. But we know, going all the way back to training camp, that Jordan Love is a slow starter. He has to find a rhythm. He has to get moving, right? That was the case at the very first training camp practice. That was the case in the preseason. It was the case of family night. It's been the case in all four games thus far. Look at the numbers. We have the data to say this conclusively. So do something about it. Because the play calls between quarters one and three aren't that ridiculously different. What is, is the urgency and the pacing behind the plays. Matt LaFleur said that after week three, they'd like to be able to play a normal offense sometime because they're experiencing such success with the no huddle or the hurry up or quicker pacing. He just wants to be able to settle into a regular offense sometime. Well, if it ain't working... Maybe still go with the hurry up. But even beyond that, he said that uh, they've evaluated going no huddle in the first half, but they opted not to. What do you have to lose exactly is my primary question there. Look at the numbers. Try it, right? Try going no huddle in the first quarter and seeing if you reap that success. And if you do, then you can question why does Jordan Love seem to have so much more success when there's urgency? Why is it that the Packers are seemingly a better team when playing from behind than when they have the lead? Why is it that this offense on the whole functions better when moving quicker? Like you can ask all those questions, but why not just do the thing that works in the meantime? Because you going out there and taking all 40 seconds of every single play clock just for you to run A.J. Dillon behind a line that can't run block to get one yard and then spend 40 seconds deciding on the next play, which inevitably is going to be a halfback slant from seven or like a, a, a quick slant from seven yards out. It's failing in the first half. You could do better. And like I mentioned, too, those those one, two yard runs, don't get me wrong. Those are an absolute necessity in the offensive game plan. They are, 
The data league-wide for the last 10 years is out there. Sean McVay with the Rams has made a living on this. The run game does not have to be effective in order to further set up the set up the pass, specifically the play action pass. You just have to actually run. So I've taken to calling these plays sacrificial lamb plays. Sometimes you're going to run the ball and it's only going to go for a yard and AJ Dillon's going to run into somebody or Aaron Jones is going to get brought down immediately because the line can't do it right now. Whatever. You still have to call those plays, which is another deficiency when it comes to Matt LaFleur's play calling style. Too often they forget about Aaron Jones. Too often they forget about the run at all, but you still have to do it. It helps to set up the pass. It helps to set up the play action. It's just the reality of it. So every once in a while, you have to call these one-yard sacrificial lamb plays. But the key here for the Packers, because this happens all the time to Green Bay, is it doesn't have to lead to stalled timing. Right? In the first quarter, how often do we see it? They run a one-yard play, two-yard play, and then we take forever. Then we get up to the line. Like I was mentioning earlier, in the third quarter, how often do we see that? Not as much. They're in a bigger hurry to get up to the line and get the next play going. Why not instill that all the time? One-yard plays, because you're trying to set something up, don't have to be this ultimate like rhythm stopper. Just keep going. Key number three for the Green Bay Packers to fixing their the rest of their season, their potential, let's say, is embrace your youth. They're still playing like a vet team so much of the time, but they're offering the youth rationale when stuff doesn't go wrong. And it's not an excuse. It's a reality. The Green Bay Packers are very, very, very young, but yet in so many circumstances, they're still playing like a vet team. When in actuality, this team should be playing with some form of reckless abandon. This is one area where I give Matt LaFleur a ton of credit, actually. I love the trick plays that we've been seeing as of recent. But to tie in with the previous point, offensively, you're so young. You're so fast. You're so athletic. Why are you letting the defense reset in between every single play? Get them on their heels. Get up to the line and move. Defensively, swarm, 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 swarm. I'd argue there's probably not an overall more athletic defense in the NFL than the Green Bay Packers, Best, like based upon the priority of Brian Gutekunst going with Raz scores for the last five years in the draft. The Green Bay Packers are extremely athletic defensively. And yet, how often is it that we see a completion to a receiver or a running back, and then someone has to make a tackle one-on-one? And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Generally, it depends on who's out there doing the tackling. But in the preseason, what was emphasized so much was swarm. We're going to swarm to the ball. The best defenses are effort defenses, and they swarm. Well, if you're spaced out so freaking far that you can't swarm, chances are your zone is spread out too far. So don't spread it out that far, right? I know, maybe I'm oversimplifying some things, but the truth is, if your defenders aren't quick enough to swarm to the ball, and I believe they absolutely are, it probably is because their assignments are spread out all over the freaking field and they can't help each other. And for this style of defense, it's wrong. Another way that they need to embrace their youth is stop basing personnel decisions on experience. This is your evaluation year. This is your transition year. 
So why are we trotting out Royce Newman at left guard? Sean Ryan, by all accounts, in camp and preseason, was better than Royce Newman at both run blocking and pass blocking. Yet, when Elton Jenkins goes down, who goes trotting out there for the Packers? Royce Newman. Who gives up five pressures to the Detroit Lions? Royce Newman. You got a former third-round pick just kind of chilling there. Might as well give him a couple snaps. See, because the thing is, Royce Newman is very much probably entering the end of his Packers tenure. Maybe they re-sign him to some, like, one-year Jake Hansen type deal or whatever, but Sean Ryan, you've still got for two years yet on his contract. So what's the worst that happens? You trot him out there against Detroit and he screws up more? No, the upside is maybe you find yourself a viable player. See, the thing is, it wouldn't be so infuriating if this were just a one-off problem. But it's not. We've seen this now for years under Matt LaFleur and Adam Stenovich, and even on the defensive side of the ball last year with them refusing to play Slayton and Wyatt in favor of Lowry and Reed. So stop giving preference to experience when you could be giving it to the youth so that you can properly evaluate them in game settings. Because frankly, the experience that you're trotting out there is deficient anyway. So you might as well send in the youth. And maybe you'll actually hit it lucky. Some of the best Packer personnel decisions over the last three years have been forced because of injuries, forced because of, like, they, you could tell the coaching staff didn't want to play these guys. Look back at Rizul Douglas. He was in because of injuries. And yet look at what he became for the defense. Right? If they need someone to make the decision for them, fine. But the coaching staff needs to get out of their own way and let the kids play. Curiously enough, in that last game, too, I don't want to not bring this up, but why? Why are you subbing in Corey Valentine, who's a part of your practice squad, instead of Carrington Valentine? In case you missed it, Valentine was benched during the Detroit game in favor of Valentine. And they said after the game that that was planned because as Detroit moves to whatever run focus, they wanted to get Valentine in. They feel he's a little bit better at the run game thus far. <laughs> Valentine didn't even play poorly. Play the kids. See what happens. Number four, explore options for your nickel cornerback position, including Jay Alexander heading to nickel. Look, I like Keyshawn Dixon. I think that he is a spark plug for the entire roster. And last year, he did a lot of good things at the nickel cornerback position. This year, he's average-ish at nickel. I can't say that he's doing anything that warrants him having these unquestioned, he is the starter at nickel type snaps. So why are we trotting him out there like he is? Look, Jay Alexander's going to be back soon. Eric Stokes is going to be back soon. And what are you going to do with Eric Stokes? Are you going to play Nixon over Stokes? Because I thought the whole priority of the secondary was to get your best five out there. And Eric Stokes had an awfully promising rookie year. And I think his reputation from his sophomore year is actually worse than his play dictated. So are you just going to keep him on the bench? Just use him as a depth piece? Because I thought the secondary was best five, just like the O-line. But then at the O-line, you're bringing out Royce Newman. So, like, is best five a myth anyway? Mm-hmm. 
Maybe we're finding out. But the truth is, if you can come up with some kind of alignment, including Jair at the nickel, and then Stokes and Razul on the outside, or utilizing Carrington Valentine in a more serious manner, but outside or continuing to pursue an option inside for him, realistically, that opens up Keyshawn Nixon to be like you're more comfortable with him returning then, or perhaps giving him more of the return snaps. Or maybe you're even more comfortable trotting him out as an offensive spark plug if he's not playing 40 defensive snaps a game. It's something that at the very least from a personnel side needs to be explored. And that one doesn't have a whole lot to do with injuries. Number five, last one. And this one's about the defense again. What is your defensive identity? Because thus far into this year, and as it's been most years, it's bend, but don't break. And too often on the live streams, we see bend and crack because we still give up a field goal. But the truth is, so much athleticism, so much talent. Why is this a defense that allows the offense to come to them? Why is this a defense that allows the offense to, to go out there and get the free intermediate yards that we so willingly offer? I get it. This defense schematically wants to stop the big play, right? They want to back up their guys in a zone and then let the pass rush do their job. And that's going to work some weeks. Get Chicago, it works, but it doesn't work every week, right? And what happens when you go against a vet quarterback who's going to get the ball out quicker than your pass rush can get there, right? We've seen this for years. Vet quarterbacks come in, play Green Bay. They get the ball out in 1.8 seconds. We give up a free 15 yards every single pass attempt because we're focused on, we're going to let that happen because we're bending. And then we break on the back end anyway, or we crack and we give up a field goal. Well, with the baby Packer offense still learning its way, you really can't give up that many field goals and still have a shot in every single game. So this bend, but don't break. It's just not the answer. Look at the New Orleans Saints. One of the reasons why the New Orleans Saints have one of the best defenses in the NFL is what do they have all over? They have stars, and then next to them, they have complementary pieces. Like Green Bay doesn't? They've got Kenny Clark on the D-line. And then Slayton, your run stuffer next to him, Wyatt, more pass rusher, but coming into his own, still a little raw, certainly, but coming into his own. Then you got Brooks and you got Wooden. At inside linebacker, you've got Campbell, if he's healthy, who still is at minimum above average at inside linebacker, plus Quay, who looks like a budding star, including in the run game, since he's gotten drastically better there than he was last year. At edge, you've got Rashawn Gary. Plus, you've got LVN as the youth. You've got Preston Smith, who still can set an edge, albeit not as quickly as he used to. And then a corner, you've got Jair, Zul, and, and like, why is it that the Green Bay Packers defense can't be like the Saints defense, right? The pieces are there from a personnel standpoint. But no, what we have here is a scheme that's still called, like, Ladarius Gunter is one of the starting corners. See, there used to be a personnel problem on defense in Green Bay. There's not anymore. And I think part of the reason why we're seeing mental mistakes, just like the offense, is because they're playing so rigid, so confined. 
So this is your little zone and you're going to stay. And if you try to do more than that, the entire defense is going to fail around you. Is it the player's responsibility to do what they're coached? Yes, but it's the coach's responsibility to make sure that your scheme fits the players that you have. And I no longer can endorse the idea that the Packers scheme fits what they have from a personnel standpoint. Yes, the players need to do their jobs. The coach needs to do theirs too. And I think Joe Barry is a wonderfully kind human being. I understand that the Packers are not going to get rid of him this year. Joe Barry also has massive amounts of experience under multiple defensive systems. He doesn't have to run cover three more than any other team in the NFL. We don't have to be spaced back that far. You know, teams that do that are teams that don't trust their defensive players. Maybe now what we need is more trust instead of less. Yeah, the defense. It's older than the offense. Still not, still not old. Let the kids play. They can adapt to those five, six, hundred points. I don't know. I lost track. Then we could be looking at a playoff team. The very least, I say with a lot of confidence, this would be a fun team. Join me on Wednesday as I go position by position and explore at basically the quarter mark of the season how each position is doing to this point and offering letter grades just for the sake of, you know, got to say something. <laughs> and then on Friday, I'll be previewing Packers versus Raiders as we get ready to head into Monday Night Football. Thanks so much for joining me here on Lombardi Time Brews. And as always, Go Pack Go.